0: You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pull podcast. We're coming to you from a very stormy Halifax. We're about to get hit by Hurricane Teddy. Ironically, we're going to be talking to Rob Gale, the manager of Valor FC. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. So, uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Foot Podcast. Uh, We are joined by a Canadian colossus in Rob Gale, uh, General Manager of Valor FC. Welcome to the show, Rob.
1: Thank you. Good to be here,
0: lads. How are you? Great, great, great. And we're joined by Chris and Carlos, as always.
2: Thanks, Anthony. Thank you, Rob.
3: Pleasure. Cheers, gents. Thanks for coming on the show, Rob.
2: So, um, you've had a... uh, you've had a bit of
0: time to unwind and get back to normality. Uh, what's the plans for yourself now for the long off-season?
1: Um, I've got to do a little bit of uh, professional development from a UEFA uh, licences back home. So I need to tie that in somewhere. Um, and... Just looking at areas always, uh, you, you know, someone asked me the other day, you know, do you wind down? But you don't, you just wind <laughs> yourself up again. That's the nature of the business. It, it's like after one game in the tournament that started, we're already on to the next and scouting and video and you don't have time to process. And it's kind of like that season to season. You, immediately there's players that um, you've got options on that you want to extend. There's players that you need to negotiate with. Uh, there's scouting to be done, markets to look at, contacts, club building, community. So you know, just kind of goes one cycle to the next. It's a bit of a blur, a bit like COVID for everybody else. You don't know what day of the week it <laughs> is or month of the week. Have you ever watched? It? Have you ever read the book Fever Pitch by Nick uh, Hornby? It's just we measure it by season. We measure the life by season. Right? There's no real. Uh, <laughs> You don't know what day, month, or whatever. It's just football season. So, um, what
0: are you going to do to keep the kind of players motivated and making sure that they're keeping in peak condition? Because it's a
1: really long off season. Oh, <laughs> I think you're asking the wrong time. Did you see our injury list? We oh. couldn't keep them. We couldn't keep them in peak condition for seven <laughs> games. We <prior to>. uh, <laughs> really counted the cost. We had 19 uh, full games missed by players during the tournament. Uh, wow. in terms of play a game. So we said it was going to be survival of the fittest. And uh, yeah, hence our exit from the island off a survivor because we just, (laughs) especially defenders, it was amazing. Um, But when they haven't played games for 15 months, some of them, you look at 15 months, 10 months, nine months. It's so hard. And I had this with a national team. I, I used to have to go into qualifying in January and February with players who hadn't played for six months. So the motivation for the players is tough because we're not in control of it. What are we going to offer them? Two men and a snowman in Winnipeg, uh, snowmen for goalposts. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. We can't play teams locally. so three Madrid- kicks,
2: depend on the side of the snowman.
1: Right? <laughs> they pieces, you know? It is so, so tough for Canadian players. And obviously, look, we're mm-hmm. no different than anybody else, but... Um, i think your toronto clubs where players live uh in that vicinity the bigger city markets stand a bit of a chance but i know it's the same for harty um fc edmonton have got the academy program so there's some options there cavalry have the under 23s but it's very very challenging uh to try and find environments for these players Uh, And it's something we need to keep working on and addressing and extending the seasons or finding loan options. So that's what we're working on right now, almost on a player-by-player basis. But as an entity where we don't have the financial resources to house these guys all year round and to keep them in our city for an extra six months when there's nothing really for six months is impossible.
0: So do you, do you think there's anything they can do? I, I, as you mentioned, obviously we're in Canada and the, the weather doesn't help us. But is there anything that that you think can be implemented to maybe make the season, uh, the the Canadian off season, like kind of shorter? Like like kind of like have a mini tournament somewhere? Or
1: yeah, I mean, it's, well, this year especially, it's enormously tough, right? Because we're 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 relying on gate receipts and 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 fan base and ticketing, a bit like the Canadian football league. So. Um, I think down the line there's options the success of this tournament um, in a short space of time showed that things can work when government and league and everybody gets behind it so maybe you know down the line if we had a full season to October or early November and then something like this in January, February almost as a kickoff to the preseason would be awesome mm-hmm. but again it's uh, we're a continent right um, It's such difficult, you know, to get the the cost of travel and hotel rooms and food for everybody. I mean, there is enormous expense involved for the ownerships of everybody. And we we need to continue to seek bigger and better sponsorships and and supporters of the Canadian game in order to make these um, sort of dreams a reality
2: following that question actually just like very quick do you think that maybe perhaps having expansion more teams a better schedule and maybe perhaps to have more time playing perhaps bringing back the old-fashioned spring and fall tournament could help a little bit to you know to make more games and more time for the players, more time for the players playing more exposure more exposure bigger options of loans and, and selling players what you're thinking of that?
1: Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of factors in that, <laughs> Carlos. A lot of good mm-hmm. points. But uh, any time the league expands, it's going to be better, right? Uh, mm-hmm. More interest, more ownership, more potential sponsors, that power in numbers. And obviously the league's aim is to get to about 16 teams if possible. And everybody, it's been well documented that you know a 100-year plan would be some form of um relegation promotion you know that would be unbelievable um mm-hmm. i think in order to do that you have to have regionalized uh, varieties underneath it similar to league 1 ontario plsq you know if it's a or whatever it is uh, and then that opportunity like they have in the canadian championships to compete but then the the budget to go up is is a very big one you know so mm-hmm. maybe with the expansion of teams it could be an east and a west division I don't think we'll go back to the two-season idea. Um, I'm not sure it's, you know, where we want to go as a league. Um, That'll be discussions for people above my pay grade, probably. But um, (laughs) I think the important thing is that people are seeing, you know, the excitement it brings to cities such as, you know, Winnipeg, obviously, Halifax, Mm -hmm. uh, where you can be quite a big team in your market and, you know, Saskatchewan would be awesome. I know there's other ones in Ontario that are interested. Mainland, uh, Vancouver. You know, there's, there's a lot of excitement among supporters groups and, and people involved in the game. Uh, facilities is probably the biggest stumbling block. Um, as you guys all know, trying to get that that stadium, that ideal location, pop up downtown, urban environments. You know, that can that can really help grow and the business people see that sports and entertainment can go hand in hand and then there's knock-on effect for hotels and restaurants and bars and everything but Mm -hmm. i think we need government involved we need corporate canada to get behind us as we have done on the men's side for many many years needed that support uh to -hmm. take us to the next level but the great thing is look when he went from seven to eight ottawa was a fabulous addition Mm -hmm. um Carlos, your Spanish is probably better than mine. I'm imagining, but uh, muy muy bien, Ottawa.
2: Muy bien, muy bien. Muy bien. <laughs> you got it. You got it.
3: Go <laughs> for it, Chris. Oh, that's fantastic. We we we're like we did that with an eco too. These bilingual shows, or Anthony, you said we might have to do it an all Spanish episode once, man. Yeah bit of an expansion if you will.
1: We used to uh Dos cervezas por for is down before or after the match. <laughs> oh, it depends it depends what we line up looking like. If you only got three three fit defenders to choose from again then I'll join you in the march to the game and having a fight. then. Like. <laughs>
3: That's one of the terms that mom would use going down south.
2: <laughs> you gotta,
3: that's one of the ones you got to remember. Um, I know this is hard to do, brother, but take yourself back to before COVID, before all this mess, you were just starting to get the lads together, I guess. I mean, I don't really know if you even had the full squad together at any point before COVID really hit. Um, as, a, as a coach, I know you spend the whole offseason preparing tactically, how you're going to approach things mentally. Put yourself back in your shoes, then. How did it deflate you or did it kind of motivate you when COVID hit and you found out that the season was postponed?
1: Uh, It's a great question. Um, It it was a mix. I've got to say, look, I love anybody who knows me working with players, being out in the field. I'm a track suit manager, absolutely, Um, especially developing players and improving them. I spent my entire life doing it, and I love that side of the game. So what happened was we had four days of preseason. We were the last team, I think, to start and – Ottawa were already in Spain and York had been going about six weeks before as Cavalry too, I think. And we were late getting going. And then you have four days together, and we were still making some decisions on three or four players. Just those final ones. We had a whole pre-season mapped out to get seven games finally, seven games our entire season in preseason, and kind of make those final decisions and everything else. So when it hit and the lockdown came, um what it actually afforded us was an enormous amount of time to work the tactical side of the game and spend more time with the players remotely like this, the amount of sessions we had, game model stuff, more preparation like that. And then funnily enough, when we only had about eight players in town, I think it was when mid June hit and we were allowed back on the field, uh, we got to work with them, spent an enormous amount of time with Andrew Jean-Baptiste, Federico Pena, Rafa Heen, you know, uh, Diego Gutierrez, a lot of our standout performers we had a lot of time with. And you look at that and you think, what a terrific way to spend our time as coaches. We had to have no more than four on a field. We ran a station-based approach with my session being, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, just pure individual coaching of a player and designing drills that would specifically work on the tech- technical, the technical, the decision-making element, the physical approach. So as a coach who loves designing training sessions and building uh, you know, relationships and working with players, COVID was a, was a terrific experience. You know, I got to do that through Zoom and individual stuff and individual training that if I had the normal four or five weeks of preseason, I would never have had with those guys. Now, I don't want to repeat it, let's to be honest. We couldn't shake hands. We had to give knuckle bumps from the distance, uh, all of the testing, everything else, like anybody who's had their work affected. Nothing beats the day-to-day repartee and the banter in the dressing room and having your whole team together. But there was some positives to take of it, and people who know me know that's how I try and live my life. You've got to live each day like it's your last Uh, especially after 2020 I think nothing's guaranteed and I just get out and enjoy working with these lads it's you know it's a pleasure it's a privilege you feel like in my job I don't feel like I ever have to work a day in my life right because it's uh, it's such a a blessing.
3: That's actually perfect because it leads into my next question Mm -hmm. the last season was not bells and whistles similar to here in Halifax things were tough Um, and it, it seemed like you got a lot more criticism than coach Hart did for the performance of the team Um, But you seem like a guy who just kind of brushes that off of your shoulders and and literally like you you almost answered the question with like what you just said, this philosophy with how you live life. So I guess when you looked looked at yourself in the mirror after that last game, once you could finally unwind, once the tournament was over, thinking back to all the criticism, all the people who told you you deserve to be sacked. How did you feel? Like, like again, go back all the way to last season and all that hate and everything. How did you feel, Rob? Because you know what, I'm not going to lie to you. I was one of those people, um, and, and naturally, as a football pundit, as a person who just loves the game, you question things and. Yeah. One of those guys that that this tournament impressed me, and when they announced the coach of the year nominees, I
1: actually thought you should have been included. So um, no, I shouldn't have. Uh, cause <laughs> we didn't go through, and our uh, yeah, Tommy play, play. doesn't get our Tommy doesn't get nominated when he won the league again is beyond me, and he's, he's <laughs> obviously a mate of mine. But obviously, Steve and, and and Bobby absolutely deserve today, and you can never hate Stephen Hart. That's one thing you'll ever get to know. He's he's a mine of knowledge. He's a great, great guy. Um, He's laid back as you like, you know, I'll never have a bad word to say about Steve. Um, but honestly, uh, I've been in this business since I was like 14 years old, grew up in a football family. The opinions of outsiders, you, you never listen to. I'd like to get people to say to me, I'll get sent some stuff every now and then. And they say, oh, do you see what this guy said or posted or retweeted? I said, He's never seen me coach. He's never been on the training field with me. He's never worked with me and seen how I interact with my players. You know, the people, if, if, if there's things that I do wrong, and obviously I make mistakes and I do wrong, and a player comes up to me and says this or, you know, that was poor or whatever, then I'll take that personally and I'll, I'll look at it and I'll learn from it as we did last year in some of the mistakes we made building, building the squad. But I wouldn't change it because... Yeah, it's only a mistake if you don't learn the lesson right that's the old saying I think Nick Dasovich always used to say that he never made a mistake in his life he's just learned lessons I think I've made mistakes but I'll learn from it and I'll build and I honestly have a full belief in what we're trying to do we have some very unique circumstances that lots of people don't know about in Winnipeg and challenges that I wouldn't have if I was coaching in another province or another team but That's what makes it great. That's what makes it a challenge. You don't mind being the underdog. I was when I was a Canadian coach and we beat teams from every continent on the globe. Uh, And you, 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 you kind of revel in that and say, you know what, I've got to work harder. I've got to be better. I've got to improve. And I'll find the people that I want in that dressing room alongside me who have that same motivation. And I think that's the one thing you saw this year. If, it, if, it's, if it's fair and valid criticism from someone who's seen us work or is, who knows the realities of a team selection, <laughs> should we say, <laughs> I could go in a game, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll take the, 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 the shellacking at Cavalry last year. Of three fit defenders, why would you play back three against Cavalry when you know they're going to overload you and do you on the wings? Well, unless I was playing left-back and right-back myself. <laughs> and the- <laughs> You know, there's those decisions to make. Oh, why is this player not in? Well, he's been rubbish in training a week. His attitude stinks. You know, he's coming to the office and he's he's moaning about things. He's not getting his head down. Those are the things that I know behind the scenes in football. It could be a physical report or the the, the attitude, the psychology around it. You you can't please everybody all of the time. And like I say, uh, I don't read the stuff on social media. I get sent every now and then. I usually have a chuckle by it, mm. but. Life is not lived the highest high. Like we could have won this tournament, everybody would be saying, "Oh, you're the world's greatest coach." No, when you lose the tournament, you know you're not the world's worst coach either. Mm-hmm. I know what I bring to the table. I know the energy, enthusiasm, what I bring to players, what type of club we're trying to build. And if I look back to the first year, I did an awesome job as a general manager at the club. 150 plus uh, events in my community, going out working. Charity events, youth events, team events, building a culture, building that relationship with the supporters and the fan base, going to almost every Red River Rising event, uh, and they still invite us all the time, you know? And those relationships are what the game's about. It's about people. Uh, and long after me win-loss record gets analysed by people who had no clue of my reality and my budgets and my restraints, I'll look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, I did the best I could, and I had the heart at the ultimate core of all my decisions was the players. And then I can live with that. Fantastic.
3: Go ahead, Carlos.
2: Yeah. um, This is kind of like related to what what you say. Um, This is a quick one because it just came to my mind because you're originally from England. So definitely I know we're starting to – we got MLS, we got Toronto FC, we got Vancouver, and we had the Montreal Impact in the MLS. Those are three MLS teams. Then, now, the Canadian Premier League started last year. Uh, You being from England – you 're adjust to deal probably like in de- in England it's tougher because you got the journalism you got the yellow press what we call it social media it's more tough there, so do you think that probably right, because you're from England that makes you like kind of like not immune to what people say, but like you know you, you're adjust to a more difficult environment you know being a, a football person um There's a couple couple
1: of sides to that that are quite interesting. Um, Sometimes when I was a Canadian national team coach, I felt like I'd like to give our side of the story a bit more. It was almost like, oh, you you didn't qualify for qualifying. Well, why not? Well, let me tell you a story about these players haven't played for six months and four of them come into training camp, 10 pounds overweight and this and this and this. But, you know, (laughs) And uh, you, you know, if you see even like uh, you go down to CONCACAF and you watch your TV in Mexico, it's on mm-hmm. every and everyone's discussing it. And then they really get in to the nitty gritty of your tactics and your decision. And mm-hmm. no offense here, we still don't do that. We mm-hmm. get asked a question here or there after a game or, or we do a, a pub call, but not that in depth, grilled analysis, which yeah. I quite like. I'd like to tell you why. Mm-hmm we set up in that formation and what the game plan was and let me show you the training plans the week before and what we rehearsed and then let's assess if the players uh, uh, executed the game plan because that's the first question we ask them the next day. Mm -hmm. Did we execute the game plan? What was it? What were the three salient points? And Mm -hmm. to be fair, in the tournament, other than two halves of football, I'll have to say this in Mm defence of the players, this Mm -hmm. season, other than the first half against Calvary and the first half against Pacific, we performed yes we played terrifically well to to almost to the letter of the game plan and had some dominant spells in games and moved the ball and we just lacked sometimes a bit of finish a couple of times a couple of calls could have gone our way to Cavalry game York Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what you sometimes I like that extra bit of attention because I think they would recognise some of the detail and quality and work that we put in behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Other times, like I can go out my house and pop into the uh, supermarket with my kids and stand there on the line, and I haven't got uh, twenty people telling me I'm a wally. <laughs> 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 I'm watching Ted Lasso, but if you go down the pub and they're all calling me a wanker, then
2: you, know, you say I you prefer to not to speak like exactly. Ted Lasso.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's a Look, it's a game of opinions. That's what's the beauty of it. It is love that the Canadian Premier League is giving the journalists, the the, the keyboard warriors, everybody something to discuss. And why not? If we're talking football and we're developing the game, and good, bad, the ugly, you take it with you, and you know that the game is going in the right direction because it's getting more out there in the mainstream. And for mm-hmm. someone who's invested the last fifteen years of my life in the Canadian game. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing.
2: Uh, This kind of leads to my second question before I pass it to Anthony. Um, You started as an assistant in the U-17 for Team Canada. Then you started with uh, U-16, U-18, and 20 as a general manager. Um, What do you miss the most of being uh, a, a manager for a national team now on the CPL? I know with the CPL, you have the team to work the most. You know, when you work for the national team, you get to choose which players you want, and you have only like maybe two weeks, three weeks to plan what you want to execute, what formation, what system, according to the players you have, injuries, etc. Now that you are a full-time coach, um, what, what do you miss the most, and what is the most challenging part of being a, 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 a manager of a club than a national team?
1: Great questions. I miss standing up and singing the national anthem, because there's mm-hmm. nothing better than that. And I became a Canadian before I took the head coach's role, Joel, because I thought that was important. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing better than representing your country and standing there and you're singing the national anthem and it brings a tear to your eye. You think, yeah, love me two kills, a Canadian, and everything mm-hmm. that Canada has given me to go back and give back to your country or try to the best you can. Mm-hmm. Nothing better than that. I love... The us versus the world mentality, the underdog of the Canadian. We try and build it a little bit with Valor um, uh, in the same marketplace of where Manitoba is compared to the rest of the country, and a number of youth players and everything else is very, very similar to where Canada is in the world. So there's there's similarities in that. You miss working with the top level talent, the the, the very best of the best. You know, you can go through whether it be, yeah your Jordan Hamiltons and your Kyle Larens and your Samuel Pietz and everything else. And even many, many players in the league, like Petrasso and Louis and who were with us last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that, Kwame Awu. Uh, I could go through team by team. There's probably five or six in each team that I've worked with. And, you know, that's brilliant. And it's so nice to see them on the field. Like I've got nothing but respect for the lads and Cade and Chung, Chris Manella. I mean, it's like a reunion, Manny Aparicio, Luca Gasparata, I just go through. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had the privilege to work with so many of them. Uh, Rigi, uh, with you guys now, is a terrific footballer. But mm-hmm. the day-to-day is what you get out of bed for and, you know, it puts a smile on your face. It used to drive us nuts that we'd have a camp and then, while well, going into that last qualifying, we were meant to go to Costa Rica yeah, they had the earthquake and the volcano eruption the day we were meant to be flying in. And I didn't see the team again for almost a year before you then go and try and qualify. Jesus. And then, then you feel like you're playing with your hands tied behind your back, right? Our budget compared to USA, Honduras, Mexico, Costa Rica, all of those. Mm-hmm. We weren't playing on a level playing field uh, and still we would get results and we'd be competitive. But when it comes to that tournament and that hardened battle and playing games, engaged, we weren't physically ready for the task. So the bit I like about the club is the day-to-day, seeing the boys. But that is also the challenge because you're a disciplinarian, you're a social worker, you're an agony aunt you're a love counselor you're (laughs) you get to feel everything of the player right and and honestly like with a lot of the lads in our first year there was some struggles with them with things not going our way every game uh and then criticism and increased spotlight that they struggled with Mm -hmm. so the battle behind the scenes to keep them positive uh, on a day in day out basis we were too young in the dressing room to deal with adversity, and we needed more leaders and a, a more controlled dressing room so it didn't become a blame game. And mm-hmm. you know, players who weren't playing, it's easier to point the finger. But mm-hmm. you know, the old saying, if you point the finger, there's three more coming back at you. So, that, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ,
2: you Steve like that. I like that. I like yeah. that when go for uh, Anthony. Thanks.
0: <laughs> you, you, you and Stephen Hart need to write a book of these one-liners, man. Do oh, yes.
1: It will be, what, it will do be you... something titled about chicken because every time we get together, we have some chicken and he, he can eat the bones, he can eat the wings, he, he's a proper chicken, he'll eat everything and I can't do any flavour whatsoever. <laughs> so I thought Popeye's chicken when we were in Edmonton together was spicy and he, he, he's just embarrassed by me. He, told, he asked me once, have you ever eaten roti? I said, I'm um, roti siri, chicken. <laughs> <laughs> not do any flavor, so, but we have, great time. We have great time. I love it. Well, well oh, the thing you said
0: on the weekend it was like, uh, football without fans is just sweating. classic <laughs> yeah, yeah. line is amazing. Um, He's, so, the of it. He's the king of it. <laughs> so, like, um, after, after your first game in the, the Island Games, you lost 2-0 and people were kind of writing this off a little bit saying it's just a continuation of what happened last year. So, how happy were you that you turn things around and what, what did you do after that game to kind of get the, the guys like G'd up and back uh, playing the way you wanted them to?
1: Very little, honestly. We hadn't played a game together. And uh, for the first 30 minutes, Cavalry hadn't had a shot on target, I believe, if I'm right. They might have had one. I think Haber had a header at the back post that went wide. So I'm pretty sure we hadn't had a save to make. And this is the thing, you go back to it. if you're a fan and you're watching the casual play, oh yeah, you look at it, 2-0, oh, Cavalry, baller. when you watch it back, we're like, okay, we were good, we were organised, we were in shape for half an hour, we just didn't use the ball as well as we wanted. So you go in at half-time and you're like, look lads, number one, they could have had a player sent off, Camargo booted uh, Baptiste in the face, studs up in the face, anywhere else on the field, that's a red card, uh, it wasn't given they get a shocking penalty where his hands there, the chicken wing, is it a penalty? Is it not? Nobody knows what handball is we, anymore. We, we, know, we know all about that one, Rob. Right? He had a George, blow me, I have a word. So, <laughs> uh, you just, you take those in, the, okay, they've scored one good goal from open play that w- was led from our own mistake, funnily enough, and then a penalty that probably shouldn't be given. And then in the l- last five minutes, Boscovich slaps it out the air in the box. We don't get a penalty. You lose 2-0. Okay. Look at it. Second half, much better. We had 60% of possession second half. Didn't create enough chances. Didn't get a shot on target. But okay, you're something to build there. And it's your first game together, lads. We'd watched Ottawa play. We thought they were very tired and laboured going into the last half an hour of that game. Um, cramps galore. It looked like a hand grenade had gone off at one time. Right, There was about eight of them on the field, all down from both teams. So we're like, hey, if we move the ball, it's hot. And at it, if we move the ball like we did against Cavalry, but better and sharper because we're more together, we'll, we'll yeah. take this team to the cleaners. And we ended up with a 4-0 result and everyone's oh, you didn't score against 10 men. Well, the reason they had 10 men was because we battered them for 60 minutes. They'd had one shot. We could have been 5-0 up. The goalie was the man in the match. And then we score four, but we're still facing criticism. Whereas FC Edmondson had not had a shot on target against Cavalry. saying, oh, they're brilliant. They're doing well. So it's all about <laughs> use the motivation. And again, I don't listen to it, but people are sending me like, God, the differences. But you, as a coach, you would literally analyze it. You watch it back three, four times. You get the statistics. You actually look at the raw data and where you need to improve. And you're already on to what's going next. Like I said, we're not celebrating beating Ottawa 4-0. We got York two days later. By the way, we were the only team that had four games in a row with only two days rest also. So when we played Pacific and weren't very good the first half, that was on the ninth day of the tournament for us because we were the last team to start. And then we ended up being the first team to finish. So our seven games in 20 days was a bit different to seven games in 26 with Forge. All of those things you have to take into balance. And you wonder why we get more injuries or whatever else. We started the first year of the league with five games in 15 days. And Josip Golubow would have been our best player and Michael Petrasso go down in that time. So you, you've got to be objective as the coach and you've got to kind of put opinion to either side and say, OK, let's have a look at how were we, were we bad? We weren't great first half against Cavalry, but we were organised. We just didn't use the ball. Then we got better. We were excellent against York, the better team for the first 45 minutes by far. Should have had a penalty. Master catcher got nailed in the box, didn't get given. Got a nil-nil at the end of it and could have won late on, weathered a bit of a storm in between. Real positives, right? It was only, as I said, the Pacific game first half where I said, you know, we let ourselves down and then second half we're much better we don't come off with that game. And Sean Handel's got a one-on-one. Another one cleared off the line of Austin Ritchie. We missed the penalty, we missed the rebound from a yard. It's just one of those nights. Slippy, wet surface. Fourth game in 9 days. On to Edmonton.
0: I mean even like against Halifax like you're the better team but like we got to breakaway kind of goals. Like, I mean, you guys were well on top in that game. I mean, you kind well, of- the
1: free kick when it was off the bum of our play. And, then, and that, again, you, we played well that game. No, And Steve's been absolutely magnanimous in his, his praise of our team afterwards, as he usually is, and us during the game. And we, yeah, we, we felt great. We had the ball. We moved it. We shifted it. We know with your attacking four, it's going to be difficult in transitions. But we met, managed it. We know we have got to watch our Garcia's diagonal runs in behind. We know we got to be aware of the diagonal ball. But we we'd controlled the game and kept it in half. Andrew Jean Baptiste goes down. Stefan Sabera injures himself Probably just not. before he receives that ball that led to the second goal. It's, and Shack um. got injured
2: too. Yeah, right.
1: And then he get he got injured in the in the same play, uh, basically. So you lose three of your defenders. You have a deflected shot off of the bum of one of your own players. And a complete just injured mistake. You can't legislate for that, right? Hmm. Come off of that game. Honestly, that's the best game of football we've played probably in, for 90 minutes over the two seasons. We were good. We were strong. We won the balls. We minimised the opposition's counterattacks where we know you're very dangerous. We possessed the ball very, very well. We got in the great areas. It's just football. You win some, you lose some. Um, like I
0: know that Arnold like, went off injured and then he came back on against us I think it was and then he was back off again 5-10 minutes later uh, how's he doing? he, he seemed to like he, poor guy's having, yeah, having a not, the
1: roof problem we got with, uh, is the ability to be able to scan a player and get an actual correct diagnosis right? we're on the island and it looked like just an, 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 a hamstring strain and some of the strength was there turns out when he left it's a third degree tear of the hamstring he's out for a couple of months so he actually was, we actually only put him on in the Forge game right at the end because again we had three more defending injuries in that game so I look back at the tournament and you talk about reflections and everything now, we couldn't make subs that you'd normally try and make to affect the game either tactically or, or for performance wise we were constantly juggling and test you as a coach because it's a chess match at the best of times against Harty and Tommy and these guys And then when your chess pieces keep getting taken away from you and not because of the other team, you're like, oh, here we go again. So Arnold, unfortunately, uh, and it's a big unfortunate because if you watch him in the first half against uh, Cavalry and just start to show his football after about the the, the next 15 minutes in the second half, he was our best player in pre-season, hands down. Technically, he was great for the Raf Garcias, the Federico Peñas to learn from that older, experienced player, played League One France, Played against Neymar, Cavani, Mbappe, all these guys. And that big disappointment was losing to him, losing Andrew Jean Baptiste, losing to Stefan Sabera Key Tide, Brett Levi's. We lost for a couple of games. We knew it was going to be survival of the fittest and, and fair play to the two teams that got through to the final. You had the least key injuries. Yeah,
0: it was. And I mean, like, Calvi were in the same boat. They got like. a pretty pretty hammered with injuries too um, yeah. on a kind of like uh, brighter now I guess for you guys like I mean as you mentioned there like uh, Alex Jean-Baptiste and uh, Julian Dunn really shone through as as did uh, James Pantomis so how happy were you with your defence because that was like a little bit of a weak spot for you like last year
1: yeah, massively so, right? And uh, take away the Cavalry game. Um, last year, we had Morel go down uh, and then suspended for six games. We had Martin Aguinariera, the left back, go down for uh, the rest of the season halfway through because of uh, injury. Um, and we could never keep the settled side. It was similar things, right? And just muscle injuries are breaking down and That's something for us to look at and find out why these are happening and how we keep better players on the field. But scheduling five games in 15 days, seven in 20 doesn't help you. So one of the things we were looking forward to pre-COVID was a balanced schedule. Eight teams, one game a week. Holy smokes, this will be brilliant. You get seven days to prepare a team. You know, not that we've ever had that before. So... Um, but I couldn't have been happier because we conceded the least amount of goals from set pieces, and that was the very last goal that we conceded. Uh, we, up until Andrew going down eight minutes into the game against you guys, we had the tournament's best defensive record, five goals against. And two of them were in the first game. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we looked at it and we're like, we wanted to rebuild and knew the foundation was going to be the key we knew we were undersized a little last year we knew set pieces we were a little bit fragile and defensively we had to get better all of that was in place and then what you saw towards the end is and now we're starting to impart our football style second half against Pacific the whole game against York, Ottawa Edmonton played very very well created lots of good chances Going into your game, really good. Played the best football we have. And then forged. we were excellent again. So it was coming along and going. And then you're like, that's it. Pack yourself up and out the door. lads your <laughs> so, You feel a little a, a sense of disappointment, a sense of frustration. But good performances. Andrew Jean-Baptiste, we knew he was going to be a, a, a tournament standout. He's every bit of the player we expected him to, Julian Dunn. We had the most under 21 minutes of anybody in the tournament, I think, by a long way. So there's positives. I'm always going to take the positives. I'm I'm particularly fond of players I work with. I'm always going to defend them. I'll still defend the group last year, but we got older, we got stronger, we got bigger. Uh, We were a more mature group off the field. There was a great camaraderie and strength to go through everything that we did. I could tell you stories about other teams and stories we were in the hotels and everything else, but we didn't have one rift, not one rift. And you put 28 guys in a hotel for 30 days. That's pretty impressive. So all credit to the boys, like to a man, they were a pleasure to work with this year.
0: I'm surprised there was no uh, black guys anywhere to be seen, so it was kind of nice. Um,
1: just, just a final then, like, uh, so
0: do you think that you're going to have uh, Julian back next year or... Like I mean, they they must be looking at him, going like, "This kid's a player."
1: Yeah, I mean, they know he's a player, but you've got Mavinga, you've got others, right? It's difficult when you're at that level and they've got that amount of money um, to take a, a punt on a young Canadian. Um, it almost has to be enforced on them by injuries, you know, because they've got some top level assets and they're very successful. Thirty games unbeaten was at home. You know, perennial finalists. It's difficult for Julian to crack in, any young Canadian to crack in into that team. Akinola done well, but he still got out door ahead of him. You know what I mean? So those discussions are already taking place, obviously, as you'd imagine. What I loved about Julian is he he, he just settled in, fit right into the group, humble, hardworking kid. He, he'd love to come back to the club. I knew he'd come to me. He'd work with me at the national team. He enjoyed the, the style of football we play. And that's all you can ask for as a coach. You know, you're not always going to go your way. But if the experience was positive and he showcased his talent as he did, if TFC took a punt on him and he's a start in uh, centre-back next year, then we've done our job, hand him on, better level of football, you know, a bigger contract. That's what you want to see for all these young Canadians. Nice. Uh, sorry, Chris,
3: go ahead, man. Don't apologize to me. It's a great, great question. I mean, it was one of my questions, so it's fantastic. And the follow-up to that question was actually about a friend of the show, um, Daryl Fordyce. He put in a great shift during the tournament. Uh, he's your skipper, so I guess manager to captain. It's always a, a, an interesting connection. I used to be a captain, and I hated my coach. But when you what? look back, those were when you look back, though those were the lessons in life that you really wish you appreciated when you were playing for that guy. So. Just talk about working with Daryl and, and I guess um, in, in regards to all your captains, how does he compare in terms of his leadership skills and, and, and just how much does he take off of your plate?
1: Yeah, it was a big, very big addition for you. I can't understate that. Um, and, you know, he's just got a good, calm, measured way about him. He's a consumer of the game. Uh, he's played all over. He's played for many different clubs. And he's a coach on the field. You know, you can see it in the training sessions. That's what I really liked about the group this year – We had about, we had eight in a leadership team. And then halfway through the year, some of the lads said, the others, there's three more who should be in these conversations because they're such good leaders. So we ended up having half the squad in our leadership team. (laughs) Amazing, really. But Darrell was a leader of that. Dylan is someone who knows me probably better than anybody else. Carrero, uh, you know, coached him since he was nine, ten years old. National teams, helped him get to Europe. You know, all of the national team history with Dylan and being a local Manitoban but they were great foils for each other uh, Drew Baptiste was a good leader of them. but Darryl is hes just a great character on the field he probably as a player if you quiz the league on knowledge of football he's, he's coming out in the top one <laughs> you know what I mean he's, a, he's just a consumer of the game and uh, he enjoyed seeing our preparations and plans and game models because he's going through his UEFA licenses back in Northern Ireland and but I say, to have someone like that, um, and it didn't always go his way. Right? We had to pull him off against Cavalry, just the pace of it in the midfield. And he said he just felt his legs coming into him after 45 minutes. He hasn't played again in a year and a half. And that's not easy when you're 45 like he is now, it? He's going to kill you if he is. He's not older than me. He's not, he's not older than me. He just looks at him. He's had a tough <laughs> I'm having a newborn at home does for you, but no, he's a great, great character. Can't, can't say enough about Daryl, how he handles himself, what he brings to a group, and a terrific player. Like, honestly, you see that guy finish. The classic was Dylan had missed the penalty, right, against the, hmm. um, Pacific and smashed the rebound over the bar. Daryl misses it, but stays there. And passes it slow. It almost stopped on its way. They're going like this. The goal celebration was on these... <laughs> oh my God. That was that was like that was like calmness
0: personified. It was crazy. It
1: was, it? And that, yeah. that's, that's it. And he finishes like in training so regularly, right? And then we played him centre forward against Forge, and that's no easy task. Uh, just because we knew we need to find a goal, and his tactical awareness, the spaces he gets, in his understanding in the game. Top, top man. Will he be back next year? I hope for sure I mean it's difficult right because uh, it's not the highest paying league in the world he's got a baby to support he's getting to that part of his career uh, we certainly hope so he's great in the community as well and maybe we can transition him there with some coaching work or, or something to, to, to make it more palatable his missus has got a job they're settled he's gone through his Canadian citizenship and everything so he, if, if all can be well you never can say for sure but Certainly, I think the desire on both sides is to is to try and find a way to keep him in Winnipeg next year.
0: Give him a part-time gig as a groundsman or something just to keep him happy.
1: <laughs> That's right. The problem is being an artificial turf, so it'd be an artificial
0: garden <laughs> Send him out there a long more anyway. <laughs> I was
1: going to make a, I was going to make a joke about hearty and grass and. <laughs> Oh, God. this oh, is God. down the pub this is down the pub I like this you know that- the island is like their grass not just on the field
3: <laughs> <Okay>. oh. <laughs> Down the lawsuit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. <laughs> I, guess, uh,
3: I, guess, I guess a follow-up to that, brother. You, you were talking about how, like, the culture this year. I mean, you said the culture last year was actually a lot better than it seemed and that you guys had a good camaraderie as well this year. Recruitment into next year. I know, like, this year was probably a, a complete shit show trying to get things organized. So what have you learned from, I guess, this whole panic? And I know you've got time now to figure things out, formulate things. You said you've got some extensions to sign and, and – some guys to negotiate with. But how are you going to approach this offseason knowing that possibly, and I don't want to jinx it, it's just another seven-game tournament on the other end of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the one thing you build, like I said, about the squad this year is you didn't build it for a seven-game season. You build it for a 28-game to hopefully 36 with Canadian championships and everything else, right? But um, realistically, uh, last year we knew – we'd need to move pieces on. We set a five-year plan for the club. Uh, off the field, there's four strategic goals that we're aiming for that intertwine with each other from organisational excellence to being Manitoba's most connected team, you know, the team of the community, all of these things. So I can bore you to tears with all that, but what we knew in the first year was we'd have to learn the level of the league. Nobody knew what it was going to be. Yeah. And nobody could say that. They knew what the level. Now, the two teams that excelled were the two teams that existed. Uh, And that that was, you know, I I sort of spoke to Tommy halfway through the year and I said, how many years for you to get to that? And he said, three before you know who are the soldiers you want alongside you in the trench, right? And he loves his military references and his salute. So there's a good one from Tommy and it works with us at the trench in (laughs) in Manitoba. it's true, though. You, you, you've you got to find those characters. You, you can work with a player at a national team camp. He was good for seven days because he started. What's he like when he hasn't played for four weeks? And is his attitude and training dipping? And what's his off the field habits like? Are you starting to get reports? Because Winnipeg's the world's smallest city. People will go out and they'll be like, hey, I saw three of your players in L's. And you're like, all right. I am heading down there. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, uh, you can you find out things. It's
3: a small community. That that that's it. That was Stephen Hart at Antojo's that night when we were <laughs> with the boys after the game, and then Stephen walked in two hours later. They weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> it's
1: not My bodies are flying everywhere, diving behind, it's like you've been caught out by your <laughs> caught out by your misses when you just said you were going for one, and it's two in the morning. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> so, um, it, it, so first year re uh, learn the level. Second year find the level. You know now three to five. If you're building the business plan and, the, and your club is okay, it's got to grow. It's got to be better each year. How can you improve? How can you do more work in the community? Start developing youth programs. Start developing more connected pieces. That whole general manager side. So look, we. To a man, I think the players leaving, including the lone players, said they wanted to come back or would come back next year if it was a decision. Uh, we think for sure two-thirds of them are, are of the level and on the right tracks. And others, it's just some negotiation points. So it's not going to be a big rebuild, uh, nor should it be, I don't think, because performance alone showed that we can compete um, and take points off of anybody at that kind of lead. Now we need that extra bit of quality. The, the final third, other than you guys, who had a goal scorer in the tournament?
3: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question to be honest with you. They I can't, can't think of that right forward,
1: now either. Centre forward in the league last year, Neymar Centre forward, Terrence Campbell, and he struggled this year. So um, it's not easy, it's the hardest part of the game, putting the ball in the net, and that's why they get paid the most money. And they're not coming to our league for the most money, so you've got to find the right blend balance. Youth needs another chance. Scour those untapped markets. Spend some time maybe in the South American markets. Um, the CONCACAF market seems to be working. It's less of a transition, right? So that's where you got to do your work now uh, and try and find those those next pieces. So of course, a big part of that, before
3: I pass it to Carlos, is the draw, Winnipeg. Here in Halifax, you know, it's, it's a beautiful city. Our stadium and our atmosphere, it's a big draw. We've heard great things about Winnipeg, but you've been there yourself, how long? 15, 20 years or so?
1: Yes, yeah. how old's my daughter that I just sent off? 16 years, 16 years now, yeah.
3: There you go, so what is it about Winnipeg that kept you? <laughs> like, what is it, what is it? Yeah, we'll edit that out Just but we'll get rid of the uh part at least. <laughs> but what, what was it about Winnipeg that kept you? That you would yeah. use as advice to, I guess, kind of draw players to want to come to the city to play? because um prior to valor like what was the club structure like in the city what's the soccer culture like because all we knew about winnipeg was the blue bombers because the jets were gone
1: yeah i mean we were decimated with professional sports right other than the bombers as you say what it is is it's i mean it's friendly manitoba on the number plate honestly you won't meet better people uh and the people of halifax are awesome i know they are people all over canada i i say it without reservation it's the best country in the world to live in I believe that. I think our diversity makes us stronger rather than in other places where it it divides us. Uh, I, I talk about that regularly when I talk to youth groups and everything else. And Winnipeg's a great snapshot of it. Multicultural. It's a big city in terms of population, but you can get anywhere in 30 minutes. I can't imagine the guys in Toronto and Vancouver driving <laughs> after work. Like, you know, I can lap the city three times, Winnipeg, in an hour and a half, uh, and that's on a bad traffic day. It's a great place to raise a family. It's got some of the cheapest housing in the country. And the people are what make it. Honestly, you can't survive our temperatures <laughs> without being half. The winter, the winter is a disaster. Every year I used to hate my wife every winter because I'm like, what are we doing here? The <laughs> are <laughs> awesome. So you get the yin and the yang. But you've got a chance in Winnipeg. It's, it's a tough market to crack. Um, but if you do and you show you're a good person and you're in it for the right reasons and businesses and all walks of life, you know, then they're, they're great to you. The people of Winnipeg are awesome. The fans are awesome. Our stadium is the best stadium in the league. Um, we've got to work hard to fill it. But when we had twelve to 15,000 in there, it was magnificent. You know what? And we've got an opportunity to do that. And I think as the league grows and hopefully we don't draw Halifax because they have our hoodoo on us in the Canadian championships, we might get a bit further and do, uh, it doesn't matter how well we play either. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> play- <laughs> okay, we to you guys, but uh, if we get a TFC or a Vancouver, I think we feel that stated because there's enough support and fan base and excitement about soccer and it, I've worked in every, I still volunteer with the daughter's teams. So I am still coaching there. I volunteer coaching in the, in the rec program and with the MSA and a volunteer coach with the districts to do uh, all of the districts coaching clinics and everything else. Hmm. There's a good community there uh, of soccer enthusiasts, a lot of expats, a lot of fanatics, you know, there's literally Lit- Lit- in Corridor and there's a Portuguese base and just about every genre of people, which makes it cool. You know, and that's why I love it. I love the people here. I love the standard of living. I'm forever grateful for what it's provided me and my kids. And I just hope to be able to continue to give back and build a legacy here that Valor Football Club in 100 years' time still espouses some of the values that we tried to put in in these formative years.
2: It's, uh, it's good to know that you uh, volunteer in rec because it's good. It keeps you busy. So if you want a better weather, if you want to have and to be you can volunteer to coach my third division amateur oh,
1: team absolutely yeah.
2: has a better team you know we could <laughs> <laughs> we we open a six pack after uh, after every match so it's oh, good <laughs> you. you had me up third division but the six packs you know. <laughs> there you go. this is uh, my question is regarding to pretty much 2019 it's just a very quick one um Marco Bustos, um, he's uh, nominated to to, to be MVP in 2020 for the Island game. What a bowler. Always been a fan of Marco Bustos. Um, We all know how the quality of player he is. Um, For Valor, he was kind of like a playmaker. My question for you is most like when 2020 started and Marco leaves Valor, Mm -hmm. uh, your approach as a coach was trying to – fill the void of Marco with another player that maybe has the same qualities because there's only one Marco Bustos uh, or perhaps you try to change your system, change your tactics and the way of play to fill the gap that he left for the team. Because, for example, Forge, um, they saw Borges and we saw the season that they were alternating the strikers. Um, It was a line of three up there just rotating constantly uh, because... I, and it kind of worked for them. Um, they won a title, and there's only wages, right? So I'm assuming that that was a tactical decision from Bobby's Meades to do that. Um, in regards for you, was the same for uh, to fill the void of Marco Bustos. What was your approach when you were heading towards 2020?
1: Well, lots of lots of points in there. Um, look, Marco Bustos, first and foremost, not only a good player, he's a great person. Known him, mm-hmm. know his family well. He's very, very professional off the field. Um, Mm. He does the right things. Um, And you can see in his performance, he actually, I don't think he started the tournament particularly well. He was dropping into deeper positions. He was almost like a system right back to Chung. And then when he got into those 10 spots, you know, he started to explode for him. And that's what you've got to do with a Marco Bustos, get him in the right areas of the field. Same as a Michael Petrasso, you know, and I've, Mm -hmm. I've taken a few players like that. Uh, Brett Levi's was one this year that we looked at um, who, who kind of been pigeonholed by national team or that next level where they're not given the opportunity to express their attacking talents and they kind of lose a bit of themselves so we did that this year we had Fraser Aird and Brett Levi's and it's a shame you didn't get to see the best of Fraser he carried a thigh injury into the tournament because as you talk about a right winger and a replacement he's, he was our best trainer along with Arnold, who was the best technician. And we didn't get to see the best of them this year. Um, so, yes, you, you lose a player like Michael uh, or Marco, it, it leaves a hole. Uh, but we thought we had players who could do it by committee. And I think if you saw the last few games, Master Catcher started to show a bit more, and then he got injured and missed the last game. Moses Dyer was excellent against you guys and probably our best player against Forge. Um, And they're just starting to blend that attacking side of the game. takes a little time to to build and rebuild, whereas Steve's a bit more counter-attacking and you're working the spaces. For us, it's about overloads and and controlling key spaces and there's a big demand on those attacking players. What I would say is we realise defensively, having a a Marco and a Michael up atop, you can get overloaded the other way on your wings. And it's too easy to get on your fullbacks. With respect to those lads, mm-hmm. offensive transition is not their key strength. So we knew with Brett and with Fraser, we would be more compact, very much so across the midfield. There'd be less opportunity for oppositions to get onto us. And I think we proved that. I'm just a little bit disappointed I couldn't keep Brett up there ahead of Arnold because you see him jiggling Mm -hmm. and diving in and dangling players. And he hit the bar and hit the post and had some great saves made against him. Didn't quite get on the score sheet. And Fraser playing with a sort of quad strain on his left side was not a full tilt. But we felt we could get there by committee with good attacking players. I think if we'd have gone further in the tournament, Mm -hmm. um, we'd have had to attack more because we didn't have any defenders left. But that attacking side of it was certainly progressing and showing some through. So, again, it's hard to judge or be too critical of the team or the players in just a snapshot, right? And your point to Forge, I don't think they were as good this year, in personal Mm -hmm. opinion. They were defensively very, very solid, and they got through games, but Borgias was more attacking better, drove in behind. It caused more problems in behind. Mm -hmm. This year we felt we'd keep them in front of us more... um, and obviously we conceded on sort of set pieces and one dodgy de- decision by a centre-back, but I felt they were more of an attacking threat last year with their pieces and with Borgias in it than they were this year. But credit to them, like you say, they found a way to win. They didn't get any key defensive injuries. I think that's a big, big part of the success in this, this tournament. If you're solid behind the ball and organised, other than Garcia, I don't think there was too many players setting it alight in the attacking side and the Marco obviously got better as the tournament went on and had the one game where
0: mm-hmm.
1: you guys decided to pad their stats but yeah. who wouldn't <laughs> when you got a final who, who wouldn't when you got a final three days later you know who cares you're already in
2: yeah.
1: game off everybody would do what Steve did so mm-hmm.
2: there you go that, yeah that, that's a good analysis go for it Anthony yeah um, the, the last question I had was um so I know that you were a little
0: bit critical of the officiating, and so was Bobby, to say the least. Like this,
1: ha- this year, I don't <laughs> think I criticised the refs once. I think, yeah, I think I, I was going to say, I think I think Rob only went once. Rob only went at one. I mind. actually said I prefer not to comment. Oh, what yeah, mean? I think that's, that might have been
0: actually what I'm thinking that, about. That's, that's literally just the same as saying you thought it was shit, to be fair. You oh, honest. no, and I could have down. So, like, you know, obviously we had like 19 penalties in 35 games or whatever that. Like, do you think it's that the the rules aren't being passed down properly from those on high, or do you just think that it's the officiating they, they need? More practice, or like what, what do you think? Because I mean, even like yesterday, um, yesterday in the Tottenham game, and a penalty was given against, um, was Eric Dyer, where a ball ricocheted off somebody and, and hit him on the arm. Like, why Why are
1: we suddenly getting all these crazy decisions? I know we deserve two more penalties once against Halifax and once against uh, York. Stone cold penalties, watch them back, you'll see it. Master catcher taken down Boscovich with his hand, they can be key moments in a game. What I will say is, look, in the English Premier League, you've got VAR, you've got full-time professional referees, you've got every camera angle. And again, you go back to analysis and everything else. It's very hard to... I didn't criticize, so I said I'd prefer not to comment because it's human nature to err. We make mistakes as coaches. The players are making mistakes. These guys had to give up. Most of them were working during the day. They had to give up a month for their lives or more uh, I don't think it was for life-changing pay. I think I'll probably be fair in saying that. They don't get the benefit of the replays. Um, and they're learning. It was like for our York game, it was a 23-year-old referee. And imagine how good she's going to be in seven years if she could have 28 games a season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you if we want to go through it, we could say how many players in the tournament came in with big expectations and didn't perform go through team by team there was big expectations on a lot of the center forwards and the lists and didn't show up at the tournament you know no one's criticizing them and and they don't they're making the same split decisions it's youth it's development they're doing the best they can with what they have I genuinely believe that it is frustrating I think Parr was the coach you were referring to who had a go at the refs and Some benches, I will say, are better intimidating officials than others. Uh, There's two or three very good examples of that. Steve's not one of them. He's like me. We we tend to sit down and relax and just watch games go by, and maybe we don't get the key decisions at times because of that. Uh, That's human nature, again, when you're feeling that pressure and experienced players on the field getting around the referees. You can see it, right? So they're learning. They get better. They're developed from that. The league... Will continue to work in it. I'm sure the CSA does. And Isaac, he's he's, he's quite honest after the, the after the fact when they make mistakes and and sort of says, "Yes, we you, you know we cost you." Last year it was about five or six games he admitted to, which would have been nice in the table. I think we'd have finished third in both seasons. This year, penalty against York at Neil Neil, three more points. Penalty late against Cavalry, could we have snuck a point that puts us in the next round? So. You hope over twenty eight games it balances out. Um we played seven it didn't. We played twenty eight last year it didn't. <laughs> so next year I can't wait, cause it's gonna be penalty. We're gonna be like old Trafford next year.
2: <laughs> but this is this is the beauty of football, right? Like everybody makes mistakes. We're humans. Um speaking of mistakes, like Anthony, right? Like I don't know why he brought out Spurs. He oh, has to do it every time, you know. And he was this. going to mention my haircut or something. <laughs> no, I, I, I was actually going to say he that. He always like, rings first every time, so, I,
0: I, uh, you know. I, I was going to say that next season we'll see you like a seven-foot guy that's about this wide doesn't intimidate the referees like everybody else, right?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I think it's it's an area of the game. It's tough at every level. I just go and watch my daughters and young purple shirt referees and, some of the abuse that they get and who'd want to be a ref right the old saying if you can't play coach if you can't play or coach become a ref is it
3: i I coach basketball rob and and like the 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 abuse the refs get in soccer is one thing but on on the basketball court it's it's absurd and they're almost taught to deal with it yeah but they have closer though too yeah so they go they also have like a little bit more of a power to like Straight up, just get rid of people, right? Yeah. Like with soccer, I find like the, the refs have this tolerance where they can almost have the tunnel vision with what's going on because the <laughs> field of play is so much bigger, right? That's
1: right. Slavann Village down the yeah, tunnel. Yeah, I think oh uh, Bobby nearly made it once. <laughs> the York goalie made it once. Mister, I think, or someone, Fabian Troche got sent off for translating what <laughs> <laughs> Mister said to you. Oh my <laughs> God! The got sent
0: I, I, down the tunnel. I feel like that's going to be a question on the question of sport in years to come, man. Right, it should be. It should be. Nine, well, nine <laughs> Oh god! Oh. Like that's it. You're not to literally translate everything a man says. Put,
1: yeah. Put a filter in. Yeah. Um, you know When they do those lengthy interviews with players, that they speak for about five minutes, and then the translator just goes, well, "Yes, he said yes." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the using the referee team like nothing else. Oh, the, room, nothing else. Like the UFC, UFC, UFC fights. Telling though. her exactly what he said. that was the <laughs>
0: I bet you'll have a new translator next year uh, Rob thank you thank you so much for taking so much time out to hang out with us man it's been a blast um, Mate, really, I
1: appreciate get, night, brilliant.
0: Yeah, really enjoy um, getting to hear your insights I mean it's great uh, you've been in the game here in Canada for so long you know so much about it so um, yeah thank you so much for taking the time
1: and we'll see you in seven months go hibernate oh I'll tell you what the one good thing about COVID this year was not having to do that 3am flight to Halifax <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell you what, we were battered. We, we used to get there at three o'clock in the morning at the airport, get the five o'clock flight, and then via Montreal. And we'd get to you guys by about one in the afternoon. Then we had to get lunch, train by three to beat the light. Oh my god! We, we couldn't suss that out all year. We were shattered. We'd be on the bench having a yawn during the game. <laughs> I swear it wasn't to do with air attack in football it was to do with
0: being <laughs> in oh, you need to sack yeah. your you need to sack your travel agent as well uh, <laughs> this
1: flight, sometimes is the best flight so
0: <laughs> alright man thank you so much uh, enjoy the rest of your night it's and uh, we'll talk to you soon bud thanks Emil thanks thank you Rob it's been a pleasure
1: keep up the thank you process. Rob
0: keep the thanks. spotlight on the game we're trying we're trying thanks again to Rob Chris and Carlos for hanging out and talking some football Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. We really do appreciate all your support. Just want to give a big shout out to the Halifax Wanderer squad. Thank you so much for giving us a tournament to remember. Unfortunately, the final was just a step too far for us. On Friday, we're going to have a full island debrief, so make sure to check that out. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Make sure to stay safe out there because it's going to be a bit windy. So until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers.